Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. We're going to look at the latest headlines in the world of sports business, but then we're going to look back on some of our favorite conversations of the last few months. In segment three, Steve Sarkeesian, the head coach at the University of Washington, has really done a remarkable job turning that program around. Their record may not reflect it, but they beat USC. They almost beat Notre Dame at Notre Dame in a thrilling game, and you can just tell that things are turning in Seattle. We'll talk to Steve Sarkeesian in segment three. We'll also look back on our conversation with Lamel McMorris. The NBA season is about to start. Lamel McMorris is the head of the NBA Referees Union, and the NBA Referees will not be working games come the beginning of the NBA season. Replacement officials will. Lamel McMorris had sharp words for NBA Commissioner David Stern. You'll hear that conversation coming up in segment four. A couple of other notes. Visit my Sports Business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. Become our Facebook friend or follow me via Twitter. Just visit my blog at sportsbusinessradio.com. Link to the Sports Business Radio Facebook and Twitter pages. My handle on Twitter, SB Radio. I'm joined in studio by Bobby Corser. Bobby, the big news of the past week the 2016 games, the games of the 31st Olympiad, were awarded to Rio de Janeiro. Now, if you really examine this, it's not that big of a surprise. I think Rio and Chicago were the favorites. I think the surprise is that Chicago didn't even make it past the first round. No, absolutely. And it's funny, when the vote came down, you know, everybody's like, oh my gosh, okay, you know, we, we expect Tokyo to kind of be the one that will go on the first round. And then they dropped the bomb saying, oh, Chicago does not have enough votes to pass. And you could just hear the silence. Just everybody was stunned. But if you, And if you really sit and think about it, and we'll talk about this in headlines coming up next, there are several reasons why Chicago did not get past round one. We will break down those reasons for you. But I'll give you a few letters. U-S-O-C, the U.S. Olympic Committee. If you're going to point a finger, you can start with finger pointing at them. We've got lots of headlines coming up. Brett Favre, record-setting TV ratings for the Vikings against the Packers on ESPN. We'll share those numbers with you. That's coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. 
But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one, as we told you in the opening segment, Rio de Janeiro gets the 2016 Summer Olympics. It's the first time South America will host the Olympics. Now, 400 million people live on the continent of South America, which many people see as largely untapped, kind of like China when the Summer Games were hosted there in 2008. The World Cup is going to be played in Brazil in 2014, so much of the infrastructure for the main Olympic venue is going to be in place already from World Cup. So this really strengthened the bid by Rio. Now, this win was decisive. Rio beat Madrid 66 votes to 32 in the final round. The surprise, as we talked, Bobby, was that Chicago got just 18 votes in the first round. Tokyo got into the second round with 22 votes. So Chicago, who a lot of people saw as the favorite, didn't even get in to round two. Now, if you think about this, it kind of makes some sense. Let's look at the reasons why Chicago may not have gotten into round two. Number one, the USOC. The USOC has had tons of turnover in recent months. They've done some things that have angered the IOC, like they said they were going to launch their own 24-7 TV network, which the IOC didn't like at all. They didn't consult with the IOC. There were times for presentations in June. No one from the USOC made a presentation to the IOC. And I think by the time the vote rolled around last week, the IOC had had just about enough of the USOC. They didn't trust that they would put on a good show in 2016. And as many people have said this week, including Dick Ebersol, who's the head of NBC Programming, The USOC better get their act together, and until they do, it's really not worth it for the United States to even submit a bid for the Summer or the Winter Olympic Games. No, I absolutely agree. And, you know, another thing people said is, you know, look at Chicago. They're bringing out the heavy hitters. You had the president and the first lady. You bring the mayor and the governor of the state and then the mayor of Chicago, and then you bring Oprah. It's pretty clear that even with the heavy hitters— It got nothing accomplished. Well, and that shows you what kind of backlash there is against the USOC. Now, the other thing that's interesting is the IOC has about 110 members, and probably more than half of them are European. So that was working against the United States, too. So there were a lot of things working against the U.S. Some people said this was the best bid they've seen in 40 or 50 years that Chicago put together, but... It wasn't Chicago that lost this. It was the USOC that lost this. So we're going to see massive changes at the USOC. We've told you they've lost sponsors. Lots of things going on with the USOC. And, you know, we'll see where this goes. But, again, many people have said until there are massive changes at the USOC and the right people are are in place, then really nothing's going to change and they shouldn't submit a bid. Our next headline. The Minnesota Vikings' 30-23 win over the Green Bay Packers on ESPN's Monday Night Football was seen by more than 21.8 million people. 
The previous record was more than 18.6 million viewers for last year's Monday night game between the Eagles and the Cowboys. It was the highest rated game in ESPN's 30-year history. Now check this out. The telecast earned a 58.3 combined local rating on ESPN and the local affiliate in Minneapolis. And, I mean, you talk about those kinds of numbers, Bobby, that basically means that like everyone in town except for about 10 people are tuned in to watch the game. Yeah, you know, and I'm going to dub it right now the Brett Favre Love Fest, but you know what, listen, you couldn't have asked for any better game. It was competitive down to the end. It was a great game, but, you know, listen, Anytime that you have storylines like Brett Favre coming to play the old, you know, his old team and the chance to finally beat every team in the NFL, people are going to tune in whether or not they're fans. Yeah, I can't remember there being this much buzz around a regular season game. And say what you want about Brett Favre, but he does get people tuning in. So the 15.3 rating that the game got beat a 14.4 rating for the Bears-Vikings game on December 6th of 1987 that was during ESPN's first season of televising NFL games so again record-setting ratings for the game this last Monday on Monday Night Football our next headline two pretty surprising baseball moves the San Diego Padres last weekend announced that executive VP and GM Kevin Towers will not be returning for the 2010 season Towers was named as the club's Seventh GM in 1995, he was the longest tenured GM in Padres history. Now, Padres vice chair and CEO Jeff Morad informed Towers that the club had decided to explore other options three weeks ago. Morad had been with the D-backs. He's now, again, one of the owners, probably wants to bring in his own guy. I don't think Kevin Towers will have a hard time finding a job. I think he did a great job with not a lot of money to work with in San Diego. In Toronto... The Blue Jays, who are undergoing a massive front office restructuring, they fired their GM of the last eight years, J.P. Riccardi. Riccardi was heralded as one of the brightest young minds in the game when he first arrived on the Jays scene in November of 2001. But in his eight years as the Blue Jays GM, the team has gone through four different managers, four hitting coaches, and three pitching coaches. So, Baseball moves, the season ends, and lots of moves happening, and I'm sure we'll see more as the offseason progresses. Our next headline, Major League Baseball Advanced Media this week debuted postseason TV. It's an initiative that will feature multiple live camera angles for both online and mobile viewing from each playoff and World Series game. Fans will be able to watch stationary camera angles that can be viewed either individually or in a new quad mode that shows four such angles simultaneously. Postseason TV will be free to existing at-bat subscribers with an update to the application containing the playoff elements becoming active earlier this week. New purchasers will pay $4.99 for the application. The personal computer version of Postseason TV being sold in partnership with Major League Baseball TV partners Fox and Turner will carry a $10 price. Coming up next, Steve Sarkeesian, a look back on our conversation with the University of Washington Huskies' new head football coach. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back.
Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000, the year before you bought the Mavericks. They were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at SportsBusinessRadio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday. <laughs> Or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Business Radio. My guest is Steve Sarkeesian. He's the head football coach at the University of Washington. Coach Sarkeesian, thanks so much for joining us, and congratulations on your huge win against USC last weekend. Well, thanks for having me on. So, Coach, take us back a few months ago when you were interviewing with the University of Washington. The team didn't win a game last year. They haven't been to a bowl game since 2002. What was the potential you saw with the Huskies football program that enticed you to take this job? Well, I I had known kind of growing up in the Pac-10 and in Southern California, the history and tradition of this place. This place has got a a wonderful football tradition that's built on Pac-10 championships, Rose Bowls, national championships. So, you know, as much as they were down, I always feel like if a place is down but it's been to that high level before, that it's a little easier to get back there. And I've always been enamored by it just because of Don James and Jim Owens and, and all the great players they've had here. The one thing I've got to give you credit for, you're 2-1 starting the season. It seems like you've come in and you've changed the culture and the mindset at a place where losing has been prevalent. The last four seasons, 11-37 and 37 at the University of Washington. Coach, how do you come into a place – and change the mindset and culture. I've talked to owners, other coaches at the pro level. It's not an easy task. How have you done it so far? Well, I don't think it is easy. I think the one thing we try to do is, one, emphasize you know, how we were physically because this team was beat up, beat up mentally and physically. And physically, uh, we really stressed in the weight room and in our conditioning program to get a more athletic football team, a team that played better in space, that was more explosive. Uh, and then mentally – a team that, you know, I think was so beat up mentally that it almost expected to lose, and we went totally 180 degrees opposite and went with expect to win. And the only way you expect to win is through preparation and doing things right. And as we kept doing things and having different competitive challenges, we understood that there always is a winner and a loser, but I wanted our guys getting used to winning, and so we put them in, in situations where they had an opportunity to win. Expect to win. I've heard you use that. You're using it again in this interview. How can that be applied off the field as well? Because I like where you're going with that, and it seems like if you apply it to life in general, it makes it even better for the person trying to apply that motto. Well, there's no doubt. And, you know, that we use expect to win in everything we're doing. And, and the reality of it is, you know, expectations are high outside. They're obviously high within. But if you have an expect to win mantra – well, you better get yourself prepared to win, and that is in life, not just in football. That's in life. So you got to do a great job in the classroom. you got to do a great job in your social settings, and you obviously need to do a great job in the weight room and your conditioning program. 
How often did you meet with your players before the season started, maybe some of your key players who have been around the program, to try and help them help you lead the others with the expect to win motto? Well, you know, I didn't put it much on the players. I put it on the coaches, and it starts with me, and it goes to our assistant assistant coaches, because I felt like we had to be the ones to lead. We had to be the ones to show these guys the way, the expectation level, the energy, the enthusiasm, the intensity that it takes day in and day out to accomplish something like we want to accomplish. So uh, in time, I think our, our players will have the opportunity to really be the true leaders, but for right now, I'm relying on the Nick Holtz of the world, the Doug Nashfires, the Eddie Cazettos, Johnny Nansen to lead these guys. Our guest is Steve Sarkeesian. He's the head football coach at the University of Washington. Coach, describe your style as a head coach. You've been an assistant to date. Now you're sitting in the big seat. What's your style? Well, I'm, I think I'm one that I am intense. Uh, you know, I get locked in. When we're on the field, I'm intense at what we're doing. I have uh, great you know, respect for attention to details and doing things the right way. But with that comes a lot of fun. I love what I do. Uh, I love the game of football. I love college football. So every opportunity I get, I want to have fun doing it. And I I think our team is embodying those personalities. You know, I I think every football team, you know, embraces the head coach that it plays for. And and, uh, I think our team is the same. We're we're intense. we're, We're upbeat. We're energetic. But yet we also know when to have our fun and enjoy the process. Besides dealing with the media, what's the biggest difference between being a head coach and an assistant coach? Uh, deciding when to go for it or when to kick on fourth down. You know, I, that's always been the one for me, and it still is after three games because, you know, the coordinator and you always want to go for it. You always believe in the play call you've got. You believe in your personnel. But the head coach in you uh, always kind of looks at it and says, is this what's best for our football team? Is this best for our defense if we don't make it? And so – uh, I think that that's the biggest challenge for me right now, and I'm uh, still working through it. What do you do to prepare yourself mentally to lead the coaches and, and the players? I mean, you know, some people go jogging. Some people just have quiet time and read inspirational books. What are you doing to prepare yourself mentally? Well, I think I like my time. I like my time to think through things. Uh, I pride myself on being prepared and being organized. Uh, not overly, though, because I think you, you make some of your best decisions when things get thrown at you and you have to make a decision on a split second. Um, but, but really, I, I like to enjoy my family. I have a lot of fun. And, uh, and then I think I am the one that has to bring the energy, the enthusiasm, the intensity day in and day out that everyone else you know, seems to follow. How do you like Seattle? Love it. Love it. It's a great city, great community. Um, it's this, this place loves sports. It's a sports town, obviously, with the Huskies, the Sounders, the Seahawks, the Mariners. Uh, but there's nothing like Husky Stadium on Saturday afternoon, that's for sure. Well, and it seems like they've just been salivating for the opportunity to embrace Husky football again. So uh, after that win last week, seeing everyone run onto the field, it was like four years of angst released. Yeah, I think it was. You know, I think this place is starving because – you know, they've seen a lot of great times. They've seen a lot of great games and great players. And, uh, you know, I'm just happy for the fact that they're getting, to, they're getting to see this football team play, you know, up closer towards its potential because I think we've got a good football team, a team with some talented kids with, with great desire and great willingness. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad the community is getting to see them play the way they're playing right now. Coach, I think you were the first college football coach, correct me if I'm wrong, to start using Twitter. You've got a Facebook account. You blog. You've got a website. 
How important are these off-the-field tools to building a winning program on the field? Well, they're huge, especially when you're starting out like we were, because uh, obviously we had a fan base that, uh, you know, was, wasn't quite, you know, fully behind what we were doing when I first jumped on board. So I wanted to get in touch with as many people as I could that were Huskies or potential Huskies and get them rallying behind what we were doing. And the best way to do that is to give people some insight you know, some behind-the-scenes looks at, looks at what's going on. And you're able to do that with Twitter. You're able to do that with Facebook and all the social media that's out there right now. And uh, it, it's the way we communicate in the world these days. And whether that's a good thing or a bad thing uh, is irrelevant. It's the fact that that's the way the world works right now. Yeah, I follow you on both Twitter and Facebook, and I read some of the comments that other people are sending. And, you know, it seems like they're just so happy that someone with the football program is – reaching out to them. They, they, it seems so personal. Well, we try to make it that way. We try to make it that, you know, we're real normal people, and we're not trying to hide behind any doors or, or any curtains. This is who we are. Come and check us out. We're not going to change. We're not going to waver, whether it's game day, practice, off season. This is who we are. And uh, hopefully you appreciate how hard we work, how hard these kids work, and come out and cheer them on. Coach, uh, you're in your first year, obviously, at the University of Washington as the head coach. You're coaching players that were recruited by your predecessors. Walk us through the process. I've always wanted to ask someone in your seat this question. You know, how long does it take to kind of turn over the program with your imprint? you got to go out and recruit. and How does that whole process work? Well, I think, it, you know, it's as long as you want to make it, and really, you know, if you, if you want to drag it out and say we got to wait till we get all our guys, and that's the mentality that your coaches will take on. That's the mentality that the kids will take on. Oh, where he's just buying time till he gets his own guys in here. We came in and right from day one said it's a clean slate. I don't care what you guys have done before, whether it's good, bad, and different. Uh, it's a clean slate, and you're going to prove to us who you are, what you're about, day in, day out, because everything in this program, everything you do counts, and. I think our kids have really responded to this opportunity. And so I'm not worried about the fact that you know, we didn't recruit all these kids or as we move forward in the future. I'm, I'm just worried about how are they doing now and are they getting themselves prepared to be successful today. Coach, I've had Coach Pete Carroll on this show before, and he had some really great things to say about your remarkable upset this past weekend. Clearly he must be a great mentor to you. How important is it for young people? to have a mentor or someone who's going to give them that opportunity to prove what they can do? Well, I, I think it's huge. I, I think everybody, you know, in this world needs something to look at to not, not imitate, but give yourself a chance to say, man, that's really great how he does this, or I wish I could someday be able to handle a situation like that. And obviously working with Pete for seven years, I was, you know, I got that opportunity. I got to be around one of the greatest coaches of all time and, um, to see how he handled a variety of different situations that I was able to kind of just log notes on and, and be a sponge. And not that I'd handle all of them the same as he did, but I was put in a situation and forced myself to make the decision in my own mind. How would I handle it if it were me? And so now when the situations come up, I don't feel in awe uh, about making the decision. The similarity I see between the two of you, you're both tremendously upbeat and you just have this passion for the game, and uh, I think that's that's tremendous. Well, I really do. I, I love, I love, like I said, I love the game of college football. Um, I love this university. I love these kids. I'm fortunate to be at a great place, 
you know, and you know, hopefully we can just continue to get better and do great things in the future. One of the things I talked to Coach Carroll about is, you know, there's always rumors about him returning to the NFL. And, you know, one of the things he said to me was, you know, I'm the guy here. I get to be my own boss. I don't have to report to an owner and, and people sometimes who have unrealistic expectations. You had the opportunity to go coach the Oakland Raiders back in uh, 2007. Did you kind of come to the same conclusion that Coach Carroll had? Yeah, I really did. You know, you, you assess every situation separately, and uh, that one was not the right one for obvious reasons. And what I love about this job here is our president, you know, President Emmert, and our athletic director, Scott Woodward, you know, they've allowed me the autonomy to go do this thing and to, to make this thing what, what I think it's capable of being and that's the national champion, and they've given us the resources and the support to make that happen. Last question for you. I know you're only heading into your fourth game, but, you know, in business we talk about exit strategies. When you look down the road at the end of your career, what do you want to be remembered for when you leave the game? Um, I, I don't know if I want to be remembered as anything but a, but a guy that was able to motivate kids, that was a good mentor to these kids, that, that when all of our guys, whether they were all Pac-10, all-American players, or the backup walk-on kicker. When they walked out of here, they were successful in life because they learned the value of preparation, mental and physical preparation, and the ability to compete when they got put in adverse situations and to keep battling and to refocus and battle again. Well, Coach, you're off to a tremendous start at the University of Washington as the head coach. Continued success to you, and I appreciate you joining me this week on Sports Business Radio. All righty, anytime. Thank you very much. You're listening to Sports Business Radio will be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, Go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere, and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. My guest is Lamel McMorris. He's the lead negotiator and spokesperson for the NBA referees and Major League Baseball umpires unions. Lamel, I know it's been a busy week for you. Thanks for joining us here on uh, Sports Business Radio. Thanks for having me, Brian. So, Lamel, before we get started, just explain to our audience kind of what your role is as the lead negotiator and spokesperson for these two very high-profile entities. You know, uh, it, I had a team, uh, at least on the NBA referee side, of, of uh, three persons on my staff, and then uh, I'm joined by the executive committee of the referees uh, who join us in the negotiations. And, you know, we act as the the chief mediator, if you will, between the NBA office and their referees. And we help uh, try to push the, uh, uh, the contract along and help and handle all the business affairs as it relates to the collective bargaining uh, process. 
So it came to light that you met with NBA Commissioner David Stern. It sounds like the talks did not go well. And not only did they not go well, but I read in the New York Times where you said that Commissioner Stern acted unprofessionally and disrespectfully. How was Commissioner yeah. Stern unprofessional and disrespectful in those conversations? You know, actually, uh, the meeting, again, took place at uh, the NBA League offices in New York. Uh, Commissioner Stern was joined by several executives and attorneys on his side. And, of course, my team and I were joined by uh, the board of the referees. And, you know, frankly, Brian, the meeting was going absolutely great. Uh, We were having a very cordial, productive session, talking a lot about uh, some of the issues. And I I think uh, that, that David Stern may have heard something that he didn't like. And, yeah, he just, you know, ended the meeting abruptly, yelled, screamed, and said to us, uh, go over and go do your deal with Major League Baseball. Go go finish your, your deal there. And uh, threw us out. Wow. That's, uh, that's not how you want to have negotiations go. So, I mean, the NBA season is coming up quickly. The preseason starts in, in just a few weeks. Where do you go from here? Are there any negotiations scheduled? Or, uh, you know, what's the next step for you, Lamel? Well, uh Scheduled, uh, there's a coaches referee summit that normally takes place in Chicago. That's uh, supposed to go uh, Monday and Tuesday. We obviously won't be there. You have uh, our annual fall training camp, which is scheduled uh, for September 20th. Uh, so far, we obviously won't be there. Uh, you know, Brian, we didn't end uh, the session on Tuesday. So uh, I guess, you know, we're open to going back to the table. And, and frankly, we've been open to getting a deal done. And we thought that we'd be able to walk out of that meeting on Tuesday, uh, at least being able to call a meeting of our group to ratify uh, uh, a new collective bargaining agreement. It, we, it was our objective to not leave until we uh, left there with a deal done. Uh, but uh, we'll meet and convene still on next Wednesday in Chicago as a group, and we'll uh, convene the entire organization and body of the referees and we'll talk about where we are now yeah what do you tell their 60 plus referees what do you tell the 60 plus referees when you meet with them next week i think it's important to do a thorough overview uh for the referees and let them know uh you know present the the proposals ours uh versus sideline with the uh with the nba's proposals and to give them kind of a a a, a timeline of how we arrive to this point. I think it's important for every official to be informed uh, so that the decisions that we all make collectively from this point going forward are good decisions and they're based on real-time information and facts and not rumors. So Lamel, like you said, you were in that meeting on Tuesday. You were sitting in the same room with Commissioner Stern. You said he may not have liked something you heard. What's your best guess as to why he ended the meeting so abruptly and what are the main sticking points here for getting a deal done? Yeah, I think that uh, the NBA is demanding uh, several systemic changes in the referee uh, program's cost structure. Uh, I think the NBA wants to accelerate the departures of older referees without violating federal and state AIDS discrimination laws. So one way to do that, uh, if you want to get some folks out of the way, but yet you don't want to you know, leave yourself open to discrimination lawsuits, is you put forth a certain set of proposals uh, that would ease some folks out of the door, freeze the pension plan, 
move to a defined contribution plan, phase out uh, some elements of the, the retirement plan, and, you know, probably work to cut the severance program. And I think uh, that's probably somewhere in what they are demanding uh, as it relates to those systemic changes and our disagreement with how that should go forward. I think that's probably where our, our issues lie. Look, let me, let me be very clear. Uh, we have negotiated in good faith. Uh, we have put up back, given back. You know, we've, we've bought into the, the need uh, for cost savings. We recognize where our country is right now economically. Uh, that's why we've been willing to put back, you know, well over $2.5 million back on the table. But, you know, both sides have to be willing to negotiate. And just because you don't get your way, and, you know, we don't do what, exactly what you tell us to do. That's not a negotiation. You can't throw a temper tantrum and you can't, you know, you know, you can't end what was a productive meeting. Lamel, do you think this has anything to do with Commissioner Stern and the NBA trying to send a message that they're going to take a hard line in 2011 when the players union and the NBA have to sit down and negotiate? Well, you know, Brian, it's hard not to draw that conclusion when, you know, Let's say, according to the NBA, they spend $32 million uh, on the referee program, right? And they tell us that they want to message to the owners a 10% uh, 10% cost savings. So that's $3.2 million. So if we're, you know, a little over $2.5 million, $2.6 million, and the number that we, we're really trying to get to is $3.9 million, you know, $3.2 million, it, it's not, you know, you have to ask yourself, you know, it's five or six hundred thousand dollars enough to lock out your employees. I mean, five or six hundred thousand dollars—that's probably the food and beverage budget. It's probably not even half the food and beverage budget at All Star. Uh, so you—you you know, the only conclusion for some of us to draw is that maybe there's another objective here that, that perhaps we're being used to send a message to others who have you know some negotiations coming up with the NBA because you, you know I can't imagine that the owners and you know, players and fans can see that, you know, if this is the gap between uh, where we are, that this is, you know, this justifies locking out your employees. You're listening to Sports Business Radio, and I'm joined by Lamel McMorris. He is the lead negotiator and spokesperson for the NBA referees and the Major League Baseball umpires unions. Lamel, I got to tell you, you never hear about referees or umpires unless there's something that's gone wrong. You never hear anyone say, hey, that guy called a great game behind home right, plate. Or, hey, right. man, that guy really called a tight game in that NBA game last night, kept everything under control. You only hear when things go wrong. What a thankless sure. job for these men that you represent. And, you know, I understand they're well compensated, but uh, how much does that play into the psyche of these men that you represent? You know what? Uh, these men uh, and, and women, woman, yes, uh, sorry. by the way, in the NBA, uh, they love what they do. They are passionate about their jobs. They take their jobs very serious. Trust me. Uh, the uh, the anger of a fan about a supposed misplay by an official drives them crazier than it does that fan. They go out every day, every night, trying to get it right. But they also recognize that, you know, with their job comes an incredible amount of scrutiny. 
it you know if your team loses or you uh, uh, you know they're human if the, a bad play is made i mean of course you're going to uh you know that's they're the first folks you're going to go after and that's just part of part of what it is i think though uh the naysayers and the critics get more uh uh their voices heard louder than those who actually recognize that these folks do a great job and it's a very difficult job and they should be commended uh but you know the praise uh, never gets uh, as as loud of a voice as the negativity. Lamel, obviously the Tim Donaghy scandal uh, made a lot of headlines. How much more scrutiny, we just talked about scrutiny, how much more scrutiny are the NBA officials under since that scandal? Well, there has been uh, there have been some enhancements uh, as it relates to background checks and, uh, you know, certain security measures that have been put in place in terms of their activities as they arrived to the stadium and et cetera. And, and by the way, we're with that. Uh, we don't, we don't disagree because we don't uh, want the Tim Donaghy's of the world to be a part of our profession. Uh, but we're also not going to be defined by the, the mishaps and the, uh, you know, the illegal activity of one person. Uh, and, and we believe that, that it's, it's, it starts and ends right there with that one person. And so, you know, no one, as I stated previously, no one wants to do a better job. No one is as passionate about their job as these folks who work on the court and, and, and on, the, uh, on the playing field. And so, you know, we don't tolerate and will not tolerate uh, this type of behavior ever again as well. You represent the Major League Baseball Umpires Union as well. Which league, I've always been curious about this, which league would you say has the more strict precautions for their umpires or referees, the NBA or Major League Baseball? You know, they both uh, do um, a very decent job, if you will, of, uh, you know, imposing various rules, et cetera. But I'd have to say probably uh, that the the NBA, um, uh, I think, prides itself on being uh, somewhat even overzealous in terms of uh, work rules and, how uh, these individuals should conduct themselves on, you know, dress code, et cetera. Um, you know, perhaps there's a little bit more flexibility on, uh, you know, the Major League Baseball side. Okay, that's interesting. I've always wondered that. Uh, speaking of the Major League Baseball Umpires Union, their contract, their labor agreement expires December 31st of this year. Is there any movement in those negotiations, or might we see a repeat of what's happening with the NBA negotiations? No, quite frankly, I am, uh, have no problem admitting that uh, our negotiating sessions with Major League Baseball have been quite productive, and they've moved and and gone about in a very professional manner. Uh, and I suspect that we will uh, wrap up uh, a new collective bargaining agreement well before December 31st. Do you have any of the same issues? I mean, you were talking earlier with the NBA about, you know, uh, the age of the the umpires and the referees and things like that is Major League Baseball. Are they looking for some of the same things, or are they not? Are those not issues for their league? I, I think some of the issues uh, we're finding as the 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 body that represents you know both of these groups and the majority of officials in professional sports, we're finding a, a lot of similarities uh, between uh, the concerns both of the referees uh, in the NBA and the umpires and of Major League Baseball and the National Basketball Association, but 
I, I must tell you that I'm finding, and I, I can conclude, that the folks over at Major League Baseball are a little bit more open to creative measures that do not hurt uh, the overall group in order for everyone to achieve what uh, they would like to see in a collective bargaining agreement. Last question, Lamel. NBA refs have not missed any action since 1995. That's a long time. What's your best guess as to how this all turns out? You know, I remain hopeful. Contrary to what you may read or hear, uh, I'll say it very clear. You know, it's it's not over yet. Uh, we're not due to be in camp until September 20th. And uh, last time I, I checked, we've got a few days until, uh, until we reach that deadline. So I remain uh, hopeful and confident that we'll be able to come to the table and, and work this out. Lamel, I wish you the best of luck, and uh, I appreciate you coming on Sports Business Radio with us this week. Thank you, Brian. Thank you very much. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. Every championship team has one thing in common, good coaching. And I want to be your coach, your media coach. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form New School Media Coaching. New School Media Coaching uses a fresh and interactive approach for educating our clients about dealing with today's media landscape. Whether you're an athlete, a coach, or a front office executive in the sports or business world, we'll prepare you for communications with the masses in today's social media world where everything is on the record. And just like any good coach, we'll help you practice your new skills and we'll be there to provide constructive feedback every step of the way. With a combined 40 years of experience, we're veteran coaches, but we use a new school approach. For an overview and a list of our services, visit newschoolmediacoaching.wordpress.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Well, this little tidbit from Ad Age this week, the Federal Trade Commission is cracking down on Blogger Payola, the agency which protects consumers from fraud or deceptive business practices, voted four to nothing to update its rules governing endorsements, and the new guidelines require bloggers to clearly disclose any material connection to an advertiser including payments for an endorsement or free product. It's the first time since 1980 that the FTC has updated its rules on the use of endorsements and testimonials in advertising. In addition to covering bloggers, the new FTC rule states that celebrity endorsers can be held liable for false statements about a product, and all endorsements must include results consumers can quote-unquote generally expect. Previously, an advertiser could cover their claims by the disclaimer, Results not typical. Bobby, with Facebook, with Twitter, with blogs, this is a really interesting ruling because we see a lot of celebrities on Twitter, especially people touting books, people touting products. And it'll be interesting to see how does the FTC rule? I mean, who are they going to make an example of? Are they going to crack down on someone? The fine is $11,000 if you break this rule. No, and you know what? I want that job one to be the guy for the FTC that it's your job to go through and crack down on these guys. But listen, it's just another level of protection and for consumers. But 
you know, you're not having to monitor so much stuff. I just, I don't see how they're going to be able to be able to monitor everything. Stuff will go through. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think of an example of someone out there, uh, you know, people, whether it's movies or books or products, uh, but... You know, I guess if someone, if Roger Federer is touting something for Nike or Tiger Woods is touting something for Nike, they're being paid. I guess you have to disclose that now. Everyone knows, but it's just going to be, this is an interesting thing. And again, this ruling hasn't changed since 1980. So looks like some of the the rules are changing now that we've got new media and, and social media, something to keep your eye on. want to thank our sponsors, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Morton's The Steakhouse, and New School Media Coaching. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com, click on the podcast page. You can also find us on iTunes. Under the Business News section, you can subscribe to our podcast. If you want to follow us via Twitter, I'm at SB Radio. Thanks to everyone following us. We're also on Facebook. Become our fan. Go to my blog at sportsbusinessradio.com, link to our Facebook page. I'm Brian Berger. Have a terrific week. We'll talk to you next weekend on Sports Business Radio. Greg Oden of the Portland Trailblazers supports the Ronald McDonald Houses. I'm a big fan of the houses, happy to help them make a difference. He helps because he believes every hospitalized child should be near their family in tough times. And everyone can support this home away from home. When you purchase a McCafe Espresso drink or premium roast coffee, McDonald's donates a portion of proceeds to Ronald McDonald House charities in Oregon and Southwest Washington. At participating McDonald's for a limited time. A little change can make a big difference.